Welcome back to the Legal Life of Ludacris podcast here at Georgia State College of Law. And we are so excited to be here tonight. I hope you've been enjoying our podcast. This is now going to be our fourth podcast. And we are um, unbelievably almost done with this semester, which I know sad face everybody because it's been so much fun and we've been learning so much. And so today we want to focus on a conversation we had all about endorsement agreements. And so let's go back. Well, first, you know, let me not just jump right in. I'm so excited. I already want to jump right in. Let me introduce the students who are here today. They're going to one by one introduce themselves and tell us what year they are. I am Justin Showalter. I am a third-year student here at Georgia State College of Law. My name is Valentina Poe, and I'm a 2L here at Georgia State. My name is Christine Rodriguez, and I, too, am a 3L, almost done. I'm Laura James. I'm a a 2.5L (laughs) part-time student at Georgia State Law. So we kind of chuckle at that when uh, students say fifth year or two-and-a-half year, because the the greatest thing, though, actually, it's not um, something necessarily to chuckle at, but to be so proud of, is that we do have a part-time program here at Georgia State Law School, which allows students to work and to be in the program at the same time, and it's such a fantastic program, so I hope if you are interested in law school and don't want to necessarily stop working to do it, you can by just coming to Georgia State Law School. So, we are talking about endorsement agreements, and we uh, began our conversation about endorsement agreements talking about what happened with Ludacris in the year 2002. And that was um, the subject of a lot of news when Bill O'Reilly just came out and said that he did not think that Pepsi should allow Ludacris to be an endorser of the Pepsi product because Ludacris's lyrics degrade women. So a little background, Ludacris already was an endorser when this happened. He had already shot a commercial for uh, Pepsi and was set to be a huge Pepsi endorser when Bill O'Reilly jumped all over this and basically went to Pepsi um, at a time, think back 2002, you know, uh, people weren't getting endorsements as rich as they are these days, right? And there weren't, um, it wasn't just such a big deal as a part of someone's compensation as it is now. But just think, you know, you have one of the most famous radio and television hosts saying that putting pressure actually on a corporation to stop an endorse an endorser. So Luda had to do what all uh, celebrities do when they are uh, put in the defense attack mode is to, you know, get people around him to fight that or whatever, but it didn't work. Um, Pepsi bowed down to the, the fierce pressure coming from Bill O'Reilly and his network, and they actually canceled uh, the commercials. Now, do we know if they canceled Ludacris's money? Well, probably they did not because the, sh- the commercial was already shot, right? And uh, he probably got a lot of his fee up front, if not all of it. So he probably got his money, but it still just wasn't good for his reputation. So what did you think about the idea that uh, a person, a famous, another famous person could apply pressure on a company and stop the endorsement from you know continuing? Well, the first thing I think of, you know, circa 2003 is that this isn't peak social media time. So ultimately, you know, I think these companies 
they weren't having your everyday Joe hold them accountable on Twitter, right? And so the only, I mean, the only people they could bow down to in this way is, you know, media portrayals, for example, by Bill O'Reilly. And so no matter how distorted that portrayal was, the fact that, you know, he's a primetime news anchor of sorts with a show, um, you know, that was a ton of pressure for that time, right? I think that's a really good point. Going off of that, um, I was thinking that's super common, though, because now, like, um, wasn't it when President Trump started running, were those endorsements when a lot of companies backed out of any communication or anything with him sure with yeah those that has happened well they weren't in, they weren't endorsements but people were backing away from supporting people who had made contributions wanted money back there was all right. kinds of things okay. that people can do when somebody says something you know crazy billy bush if you remember during that time who was an anchor on entertainment tonight and he was famous for having been in that conversation about grabbing you know what yes, parts yes, yes, okay. um did lose his job um so there are you know different ways that people have acted out or so to speak like gotten rid of people and of course we know the me too movement has gotten a lot of folks uh excluded and fired and things like that and endorsements dropped and even we see when people make comments that are whether they're homophobic or slanderous against women companies react to it but this was an attack based on what he felt about luda's artistic um, choices and not necessarily anything that was illegal or, you know, uh, had been done to somebody else, um, but just because he didn't like it. And so that was really the crux of it. Bill O'Reilly didn't like rap music, if you get right down to it. And so he put pressure on Pepsi to try to get rid of a rapper. Yeah, it to me, it seems like it kind of makes sense that you wouldn't want to be, if you're a brand, to be connected with something that's edgy or a bit like, I don't know, gangster rap, things like that. But at the same time, it just feels like, wouldn't Pepsi already know this if they were endorsing Ludacris? Right, when they chose him? Like, is there not a research department at Pepsi? Was there not, you know, and again, were there any people that were in the room while the deal was happening that said, oh, wait, red flag, we might want to red flag this, if in fact it was a red flag for somebody? Or, on the other hand, somebody would say, no, he, um, millions of people buy his albums all the time, which they did, um, and it hasn't been labeled as, you know, degrading towards women, which if we saw, we did see that video. It was a party video. It didn't That's seem at bad. all degrading to women, but uh, it worked. Yeah, and I, I also think, too, that um, it's so important for um, the artist and the company because it is, for artists nowadays, it's such a huge part of their income stream. It's not just selling records or being in films anymore. Um, Endorsements are such a large part of their um, compensation that for both parties, I think it's so important that they vet the other person and know that this is, um, you know, a deal that they want to get into for the long term um, and know, you know, like what the company stands for, what the artist stands for, because the artist can also be in a bad situation if something negative comes out about the company. Sure. And that's your reputation. And so I think, you know, with Pepsi and Ludacris and all of these artists we've seen, um, endorsing companies and vice versa, it's just so important on both 
ends to make sure that it's the right fit so you don't get locked into a deal that you're uncomfortable with. Sure. And I think something that you and Justin are bringing up is the point about the companies have to be as careful as well if they want to, you know, get in bed with somebody who they consider to have, you know, whether it's edgy or... but. I, I started to think about how some companies these days actually look exactly for that type of material in order That's to right. use as endorsers. You know, when I think about, um, uh, I, oh, I just had one in my mind and it, it completely slipped my mind. Oh, the Nike deal with Colin Kaepernick. Um, you know, I think about how controversial that was for so long and it was quiet, quiet, quiet. What is he doing? And then all of a sudden Nike drops this whole Colin Kaepernick thing. And so a lot of people could have been completely turned off by that. In fact, there were right. A bunch of people said they were going to never buy Nike shoes again and started burning their Nikes outside, which actually ended up being a great win for Nike because then everybody turned around and went and started buying Nikes because they loved what Nike did. So, I mean, I guess it's a gamble that a company can take, but sometimes the edginess of a brand campaign and the person involved in it is exactly why the brand will take off. I think, too, social media has changed endorsements so much. Now you see influencers on Instagram and companies will send them product left and right without really vetting them, just in the hopes that they will do a testimonial on their Instagram Live or Facebook Live. And it's just interesting because, you know, there's really no, you know, deal or anything and no one really talks about it. They're just like, oh, this person has 100,000 followers on Instagram. Send them products. Send them some candles and you know let's hope that they talk about it on you know on their platform it's just very interesting how much the landscape has changed in the last 10 years and that's a good point it brings us right um, into sort of the four types of um, endorsement deals that there are and um, unpaid testimonials are exactly one of them and they're very very popular on social media and um, it's almost like you can't get away from them if you're just scrolling people are talking about hair color and you know the new roller scrunchy or a hot iron, whatever it is, lipstick, makeup, whatever. Um, the other four are um, using, actually using the product or service. So like when a brand um, endorser says, you know, I actually use this da-da-da and they, you see them using it, right? So you see the basketball players playing the actual NBA games in their Nikes, right? Or you see somebody actually always wearing the brand. And then we have speaking on behalf of the brand where they give testimonials and they just say what they feel about the brand, not necessarily wear it all the time, but just speak on behalf of it. Unpaid and then fake endorsements. You know, you know those endorsements where people you know they're not using the product. I mean, it's just so clear they're not using the product. They're like, hmm, this cereal is good and crunchy. And you just know, I know you don't eat that cereal. You know, that wouldn't even be a cereal you would eat, but they do it because they want the paycheck. That's talking about, like, the commercials we see on TV where they're playing a role as somebody. Right, and they're saying, you know, and after the... the commercial or whatever it is, they'll say, this is a paid actor, you know, uh, performing in this role or whatever. It's not necessarily them playing themselves when they're doing it. Yeah. Like, I think uh, it comes to mind that guy who does the national car commercials and it's really funny. He always dressed or he hits himself and he's like hurt in the commercial. Do you know what I'm talking about? He's always like, if I'm a paid actor, then I, you know, (laughs) that's usually the ones that they can be very lucrative, though. 
Well, and now on um, on some social media pages, you have to identify something as an ad because people were treating it as kind of an unpaid testimony when actually it was they were being paid by the company. And so now there's a lot of influencers that have to balance you know, blending their paid ads with their everyday unpaid content. I believe that's what we're seeing like on PewDiePie's channel where like part of his video, he'll literally have written down their ad. And I don't think he's like doing it as a joke. It's like, yeah, this is literally me doing an advertisement for yeah. this product. Yeah. Does it, does it make you feel differently when you see an Instagram ad and now it says sponsored? Um. Well, sponsored, yes, because that's a little different. But I follow a lot of one particular influencer who I've seen the progression of going from unpaid testimonials of her and kind of her actually using the things to her pitching herself to brands and saying, hey, I'm growing this following. Can you start paying me? We can partner together. And now she recently um, designed a whole shoe with Steve Madden and Steve Madden did a whole campaign with other influencers because it's really starting to grow in that way. But I still trust nonetheless um, the things that she says to me. So I think it, it's maybe because I've seen the evolution, but okay. I don't know. I think I... I still trust what she says. <laughs> okay, so when you see one that you haven't seen the evolution, do you tend to watch it or do you say, oh, this is just another ad or does it I change? I do because I'm also really bad about Instagram shopping. <laughs> like Instagram knows how to target buyers. Yeah. And well, they have your data to do it. Yes, yeah. and I'm okay with that <laughs> because I want to keep buying things. Yes. <laughs> They're doing the work for me. They are, they are. What do you think about that? I guess on the other hand, did I correctly read that one of these social media platforms is um, they're blocking, I think, maybe under, like, children from seeing mm -hmm. all of these sponsored ads mm -hmm. that have to do with, like, weight loss. Mm -hmm. So specifically trying to attack, right, uh, toxic femininity, if you will. Yes. Or perhaps, you know... You know, these endorsements of things like these tummy teas yes. that all the hottest influencers are selling on Insta. But, you know, you've got 14 year old fans at home. And when they see that, you know, they just develop all these distorted views of their body that yes. really shouldn't be there at that point. That's exactly right. And this is not a uh, endorsement type situation. But on that topic, um, last week, Instagram said that they were removing any filters on Instagram that mimicked plastic surgery. Wait, and yes. this week I found like three new ones. Wow. I had no idea that was even a thing because literally I've seen so many being used this week. So it may be the last week. It may be at the end of October. Wow. So maybe perhaps they're trying to get in before it's all over. But they said that it was having a, um, you know, a negative messaging effect from just viewing to, you know, the message it sends to your brain to how people were beginning to alter their pictures on Instagram. And so they were just removing all filters that had. Yeah, I mean, and that that comes from the product of um, how branding has just gone insane, you know, and that people are now, they people put their pictures up in order to be recognized and to become a brand uh, influencer. And so they're using, even some of the influencers don't actually look like themselves because they're using all these filters every time they post and every time they do something. Well, and I think, too, because these influencers aren't an artist or a celebrity with a team of people vetting these companies and really walking the talent through, this is the company that you're agreeing to represent. You know, this is what it could do for your your brand and your likeness. 
a lot of influencers, it's just themselves, maybe one other person. And it's like they don't really have the, um, you know, the manpower to vet these companies. And I think a lot of them do feel pressure to sell the fit tees in order to, you know, make money off of their brand and, you know, make it essentially. So I think that Instagram and a lot of other social media sites are taking on that role because they do have the resources and the platform to say, you know what, like we need to protect the younger users from this content. Whereas, you know, 10, 15 years ago, we would have had a magazine editor doing that. Sure. This, you know, this is the age demographic for this magazine. And so these are the ads that are appropriate for that age demographic. Whereas on social media, that's much more difficult to do. Yeah. When you think about representing an entertainment client, and now that we've talked about endorsement deals, what do you think about that being such a part of the representation? Like you, you know, imagine you have an artist that's doing very well, whether it's a musician, a, a actor, a model, whatever it is. What are your thoughts about as the lawyer discussing endorsement deals? Are they good? Are they bad in your eyes? They're certainly good, but you're going to want be if you're concerned about his image, you're going to be really one to look at these companies closely. Like not only the company, but also the product mm-hmm. as well. Like is this a product that's appropriate for my artist's age audience and things like that? I think they're great because let's say the example you gave us was George the George Foreman grill. George Foreman did not make that grill. And I grew up thinking that he did. And I thought, wow, this this guy has so many talents. He can do so many things. <laughs> he so can box that grill. <laughs> you know, and it just it's just another way to put your name in each house or in everybody's, you know, perspective. Like, minds to think of you. Sure, and that was to the tune of $200 million for George Foreman. And just for all you listeners out there, that was a license deal, meaning that George Foreman licensed his name to go onto a grill that was made by a company called Salton Electric Grills, and nobody knew who the hell they were uh, (laughs) before George Foreman gave them the license to put his name on it. And he made, during that time, $200 million. Um, What do you think about the endorsement deals? Would you want to do them? I mean, I think that in this modern economy that endorsement deals are the ultimate tool for capitalizing on your image like you absolutely have to to survive in this economy. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. So some just highlights as we wind up here. uh, Beyonce's Pepsi deal, which I am positive was not Ludacris's deal, um, many, many years later in 2012 was to the tune of $50 million. Uh, Serena's Nike deal uh, was $55 million. Um, And then we have Kylie Jenner who had a Puma deal, uh, just a one-year deal for a million dollars. That was like maybe a 30-minute shoot and it was over and they handed her check. Uh, Penelope Cruz, who does L'Oreal, that's $2 million. And let's see some more. Oh, the biggest deal that we don't even know the price tag of, that people say it is maybe a billion dollars, is LeBron James's deal with Nike. So bravo to LeBron uh, for <laughs> doing that, whatever it is, uh, and his crew, lawyers, attorney, I mean, his attorneys, his managers, agents, all of that, just fantastic. So um, just uh, as we close, is I just want to know what you guys are going to do with your lives um, after law school. What are you learning from this class, and what do you hope to do? Well, I'll be working in criminal law, but um, as far as entertainment law, you know, 
I'll see what comes in my way. My wife and I, we have a lot of other ideas and options we're considering, but for right now, I'm settled on working in criminal law. Well, that's awesome, Justin. I'm still too old, so I'm not entirely sure, but um, the goal was to get into entertainment law, or my dream would be to be in-house for a news network, so that's where that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, well, Valentina, you've always shown a real interest in entertainment law, yes. so I mean, I really hope that that works out for you. And uh, Okay, you. Christine, you're up. So I'm hoping to go into prosecution. Oh. I am currently in the... De- at the DeKalb DA's office interning and it's just been the best time but I do also see a lot of parallels between entertainment law and prosecution I mean specifically the fact that you have to be a people person you know I mean every guest we've had come to our class is just um, you know especially Tanya oh yes oh gosh yes I mean her personality is dynamite and that's basically you know who you have to be to you know sell a case to I don't want to say sell but to um present litigate, to and present a yes. case to a jury yes, or really and be a convincing. judge anyone yes exactly so I said you know I see the parallels between these skills required um but we'll see what was her name again her oh tanya graham no Mitch. her the disc- dog oh, pitbull in a pe- pitbull in, in a, a skirt. pencil skirt gold digger killer gold digger killer which she trademarked by the way which is amazing <laughs> laura um Like Valentina, I'm not 100% sure what I want to do after um, law school, but um, I'm definitely interested in uh, media and entertainment law, and we'll see what happens after law school. (laughs) Well, I thank you guys so much. Um, I hope you all out there enjoyed the brilliance of these students who are in this class. We've been having such a great time this semester and learning so much about, um, you know, what's out there to do in this space. And some are finding that it won't be for them, and then some are finding that it'll be exactly for them. But I think the speakers give us an opportunity to just know what a good lawyer looks like and sounds like. And so that's been amazing. So thank you so much for joining us on this podcast, The Legal Life of Ludicrous, here at the, at the, look, I was about to say the university, and I am not there. We are at Georgia State University College of Law. And uh, so we thank you, and we'll see you soon.